fiber in place. Welcome to this edition of Still in the Race, the podcast about running, except for when it's not. Journey, Section 1. As is often the case, I find myself writing the introduction after I've already finished the rest of the piece. So I can already tell you that I'm going to break this edition into two pieces. Firstly, I have finally come to terms with this project. I started out with grandiose plans for influencing others and being an example of establishing large goals later in life through talking about running. Looking back, there was a bit of arrogance in that approach because noble goals don't have any relation to why I run. It isn't some noble undertaking. It's just what I do. Secondly, the example that I am setting is not a good one, but we'll get back to that later. To help make the transition, I stumbled on a forgotten piece from my archives that manages to say almost nothing, which explains why it had been gathering dust but it also does a remarkable job of capturing where I land on most days. I run to distance myself from daily life, not redeem it. As a note, there are a couple of annoying injuries in this story that need to be ignored for now, because, as I mentioned, this is a landing spot that is going to allow me to pivot over the next couple of weeks. Just running. I have a fragile tolerance range for running in the rain, but tonight the weather managed to find my sweet spot and remain in that rare place. The sprinkles started falling in the first hundred yards and quickly turned into a heavy mist or light rain, a distinction that I considered throughout my trek. The temperature was in the mid-70s with a slight breeze, and the conditions changed little over the five miles as the weather stalled above me, as if it somehow understood what I needed after the day that it tried me. It was a run that was just a run. When it's raining, You're constantly aware if it's getting harder or abating. The white paint on the crosswalks was slippery, and I avoided the manhole covers or anything else that I didn't trust the surface. I had a hitch in my right knee, which felt more like an inconvenience than a real injury, but the slight sense that it wanted to bend in the wrong direction was impossible to ignore. And, as is always the case, trying to avoid one injury leads to another, and my gait changed just enough that I pulled a muscle in my right hip. There was no room for thinking big thoughts or being trapped within my mind with all of the life struggles that I had been trying to work through during the solitude of my runs. There was only running and monitoring the rain. I was aware of the grip of my shoe as it struck the surface and kept testing my knee as I tried to convince myself that it was just another pain that comes with the sport. And for the last three and a half miles, focused on trying to keep my form to avoid turning a hip muscle pull that would need a rest into an injury that would haunt me for weeks to come. There was no empty space. Eight minute miles, a warm rain, the city streets that I love, a body that survived another day, alone, one block at a time, just running. Section two. I have rough notes that I assemble in between episodes, just as thoughts that bounce around in my mind, 
and I thought that I was finally landing on a comfortable theme for this entry just before I completely changed my mind. Regardless, I thought that my notes would provide a good foundation for launching the next leg of this journey. So here they are, unedited. I am at one of those awkward crossroads. Throughout this entire project, my hip has been lurking in the background, making cameo appearances. It's a balancing act. Push it to the brink without turning an annoyance into an injury. And hiding my limp from my medically trained wife by passing it off as stiffness that comes with age. But as I train for a longer and more challenging race, I have reached a difficult place. Walking hurts. My coworkers are now commenting about my hobble, which means that my wife and I are at that place where she pretends not to notice, and I pretend that I'm clever enough to hide it from her. It's a familiar dance. The real mystery is running. As I said, walking hurts. Running, nothing. Not even a trace. Even on the days when I set off concerned about how the run is going to play out, I am pain-free throughout the miles. It's impossible, and a first, but very real. It's equally impossible to explain. No one believes that walking can hurt, but running does it. And, justifiably, no one believes anything that I say because I have a lifetime of underplaying injuries. The real mystery is, what's next? Will it hold up through the next couple of months of training in the most difficult race that I've attempted in many years? Clarity. Many months ago, my youngest son and I signed up for one of those races that seems like a realistic goal when they are more like an idea than a reality. But as what always happens with such events, reality eventually makes an appearance. For my part, it will be tackling a half marathon, which considering that I've been struggling with five miles is looking like a larger challenge every day. The more formidable concerns is where the marketing and reality collide. In the pictures, it's a beautiful run through nature on well-groomed trails. Who wouldn't like that? As we finally got around to reading what we had so confidently committed ourselves to, the trail became a narrow winding path covered with roots and rocks with an elevation of nearly a half a mile. My only redemption? My son signed up for the 50K with a full mile of elevation. So from the outside looking in, this time, he's the crazy one. Training. Depending on your condition, age, etc., there are hundreds of training guides that can help runners of all levels prepare for longer races. I was making good progress along one of those when everything changed. And as long as everything has changed, I might as well change everything. Here's where we are. Issue 1. The details in my story regarding my hip are current. It always feels like it's one step away from becoming a real problem, but it never quite crosses the event horizon. So, we are going to consider it good to go. Issue 2. I was breaking in some new shoes and found myself in a situation that I have never encountered throughout the years. My left shoe felt a bit tight as I set off, but after 100 yards, things had loosened up and I never gave it another thought throughout the run. When I got back home, I popped off my shoes and immediately was hit by a searing pain in my left foot. My oldest son was visiting at the time, and when I pulled off my sock, all he said was, that looks really bad, which in our house, where injuries are routine, that translates into bad. It's hard to provide context into our version of injury evaluation without a little deeper reflection regarding how we determine what a real injury looks like by giving an example. I was out on a bike trail during a particularly hot day when I lost control and careened off the trail and crashed into a tree, 
with such force that it split my helmet. I still remember sitting against the tree trunk, checking all my body parts, and being pleasantly surprised that everything still worked. I was bleeding and bruised. I was bleeding and bruised, but it was quickly just becoming one more story, and I looked around, wishing that I had my notebook so that I could capture the moment in real time. Back at the house, I opened the door and was greeted by one of my children. Cuts to the head and face bleed more than other body parts, and considering that I was dripping wet with sweat, had the appearance that I was dripping blood from multiple injuries. My helmet was split in half, and my accidental choice of a white shirt was now soaked in blood, creating the perfect canvas. He gave me a quick head-to-toe evaluation, noted that I was still alive, and that no bones were protruding, and proclaimed, That's outstanding. If you aren't going to die, injuries tend to be graded based on how entertaining they are for the rest of the family. When my wife came home a few hours later, she stereo-stripped my neck and head back together with a self-righteous smug that only comes after she spent weeks badgering me into finally wearing a helmet, all of which is why the seemingly benign description of my foot not looking good carried particular weight. Back in the current time, my oldest called his mom over, who, after commenting that it looked as if I had a golf ball sticking out of the top of my foot, prescribed a shower followed by elevation and ice for the evening. It's the kind of response you get when the family foundation is, if you get lost, hurt, or die, it's probably your own fault. It was part of the process of silently agreeing that it was my fault and sympathy didn't have a lot of room. I made my way to the couch after cleaning up and my wife tied a bag of frozen vegetables to my foot. Two weeks later, it's less painful, but it seemed to have developed a popping noise with every step that appears to be taking up long-term residence. Issue 3. It's important to point out that my left foot is my good foot. For over a decade, I've dealt with arthritis in my right foot, which I only learned about when I had a cyst on my left foot. It was my spinal tap moment, which is a movie that I consider essential watching. If you don't find it funny, drink a glass of wine and start over. For those of you that have never seen it, or don't get it regardless of the amount of wine, this next section won't make any sense. I had finally given up on my left foot ever getting better and made my way to the doctor. I had been sent for x-rays after the initial evaluation, and they had taken photos of both feet for comparison reasons, which is where it got weird. You have a pretty advanced case of arthritis in your foot, the doctor said as he grabbed my right foot, but the pain's in my left foot. I was embarrassed at his mistake. He held the x-ray up to the light. No, it's your right foot. My right foot is fine. I came here for my left foot. But your right foot has arthritis. What about my left foot? It's fine. Your right foot should hurt. It doesn't. It will. I know that I should have been listening more carefully, but in my mind, all that I could see was Rob Reiner debating Michael Keenan about why they couldn't just make the amp louder at 10 rather than adding 11 to the knob. But this one goes to 11. Just kept rolling through my mind. He wrote me out a prescription. This should help with the pain. For my left foot? It's for the arthritis in your right foot. Can the drugs tell the difference in my feet? No. He was right on both accounts. The drugs couldn't tell the difference, and my left foot felt better. Unfortunately, over the preceding years, the pain did permanently set in on my right foot, which made it my bad foot, until recently. The only good thing is that it's impossible to limp with both feet. Issue 4. I have no idea what happened to my left knee. I had a little soreness at the end of a run, but nothing out of the ordinary. It was so insignificant that when I woke up in the middle of the night in pain, I reasoned that I had a cramp and climbed out of bed to stretch and get a drink. The surprise came that when I tried to stand, the pain shot from my knee to my hip, and I discovered that I no longer had a functioning left leg. I was unable to make it to the kitchen and settled for landing on the couch, 
where I spent the rest of the night trying to figure out what had gone wrong. The next morning, we were off to Napa Valley for a wedding between two of our best friends, so there was no hiding in my newest ailment. I hobbled through the airport, barely able to move, my wife shouldering the heaviest carry-on. I struggled to the plane, carefully folded my leg under the seat in front of me, and settled in for the first of our three-hour flights. The first night was painful, and I tossed and turned as I tried to find a position where I could finally realize some comfort. I was frustrated the next morning when it still refused to cooperate, but throughout the day, it gradually gained strength, and after two painful nights, I was finally able to get some sleep after the rehearsal dinner at a winery. The next morning, I was barely limping, and I knew that it was time for a test. I had given it several days rest, and it was either going to start improving, or it wasn't. The wedding was that evening. My wife was the best lady and had an appointment to get her hair done, so there was a window that I was going to have to myself. As we ate breakfast at a wonderful hole in the wall that we had discovered the day before, we were at that place we have been at so many times throughout the last four decades. I'm going to explore the city while you're at the salon. It was my way of letting her know that I was going to test my knee. Do you think that's a good idea? She wasn't actually asking a question, merely pointing out the obvious to establish that we were in the same place. It's unlikely. We moved on to the next subject, but once again, I was aware that I'd somehow stumbled into the one person on the planet that I could have that particular conversation with. I dropped her off for a hair appointment and took to the streets of Napa. Five miles later, I was in the shower. The pain was there, but no worse than what I had set off. There was a possibility, however remote, that I was on the mend. That night, I struggled to find a comfortable position, but it was more from stiffness than pain. And in the morning, I touched my left foot to the floor, not sure what to expect, and was pleasantly surprised that the pain was more a soreness than a shooting pain. I didn't know what the next few weeks would bring, but I was confident that I was going to make it through the wedding day without a noticeable hobble. Schizophrenia. It seems strange that I feel the need to take this position, but I'm a person that believes in facts and evidence. I believe in science. I have been forced to reconsider many beliefs throughout life when confronted with evidence that was contrary to what, in many cases, beliefs that I had held for long periods which makes our current national struggle deeply frustrating for me. Recently, I gained some uncomfortable comfort, if that's a thing, reading Paul Krugman's Arguing with Zombies, where it comes to terms with the reality that even as a Nobel Prize-winning economist who only knows how to present data, it took him decades to understand that if people have core beliefs or agendas, facts are meaningless and will never change someone's opinions or beliefs. Regardless, I desperately cling to, as John Adams once proclaimed, Facts are stubborn things, and I keep plugging away, hoping for the best. All of this leads me to where I currently find myself. With a month until the big race, I know how to manage my current situation. Running a good time is off the table. I can't train the way that I want to. I need to shut down for two weeks, get back on the road for a week, and then shut down for another week before the race. My time will suffer, but if I can slow down and maintain discipline, it could still be a successful day. Those are the facts. The problem is that my son lent me the book North by Scott Jurek. It's a great read, but that's not the point. There's a very brief comment early in his attempt to set the speed record for the Appalachian Trail, where one of his many crazy friends, who make appearances throughout the pages, advises him to just keep running through injuries because they will eventually heal themselves. That's terrible advice. Every bit of my experience across 45 years knows that's terrible advice. My medical professional wife knows that's terrible advice. However, in the book, it works. 
So I've made the decision to ignore facts and evidence and pursue the path that fits what I want to believe. There are only two minor missing issues. First, Jurek is two decades younger than I am. Secondly, the experiment was on a world-class athlete, and I'm not even the best athlete in my family. Regardless, I am now counting down the day. I am also aware of the shift that I have made. As I started this journey at the very core, I sincerely hope to offer inspiring advice to others my age. Throughout the months, I've been forced to acknowledge that my goals were well beyond my abilities. More troubling, I have now completed the shift from providing good advice to offering terrible advice. Even worse, it feels a lot more comfortable than where I started. 32 days remaining. This is a terrible idea. Thanks for stopping by this edition of Still in the Race. If you would rather read than listen, much of this content, along with other odd thoughts and observations, can be found at stillintherace.com. Production and editing, care of Trey Jones. You can find him at treyjoneswriter.com. Additional editing and artwork, Astrid Burke. You can find them both at babyfeverpodcast.com. I look forward to next time, when I hope to have something to say. But don't count on it.